Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's February 16th and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew Hausbarby and I'm here as always with Austin Knight. How are you doing, Austin? Doing well, Matt. We've, uh, wow, we, we've had some interesting moves out of the SEC. Can't wait to dig into it. Yeah, I mean, it feels like... What is it that it's been called on crypto Twitter? Operation Chokehold, I think, is what I <laughs> what I heard. Yeah. But, you know, we're going to be digging into some of the big stories today around kind of the Kraken situation with their staking service. We've got Binance and their BUSD kind of piece, an update around um, some, some recouped losses from, you remember the old Axie Infinity Ronin exploit mm, from uh, quite yeah. a while back? Yeah, we're <laughs> going to be touching on that. And our good old friend... SBF has entered his way into the episode as as per usual <laughs> as well. Um, feels good to be back in only up mode. I mean, the the dog coins oh, are pumping right now, so you know <laughs> something's wrong. Uh, but I am not complaining. Uh, things are green, and uh, I feel pretty happy about it. Um, it's been a while. It has been. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to say too much. We don't want to tempt fate. Uh, so yeah. so why don't, we, why don't we jump into our first story of the day? Kraken has just settled a lawsuit with the SEC and has shut down its staking service. Uh, so they paid a $30 million fine. And this kind of has sent shockwaves through through the industry. And I think everyone's still trying to figure out the exact language of what's happened here. But the SEC have said that Kraken was charged with failing to register the offer and sale of their crypto asset staking as a service program, whereby investors transfer crypto assets to track uh, to Kraken for staking in exchange for advertised annual investment returns of as much as 21%. Now, Kraken had... Um, a whole host of different like staking options that similar to Coinbase and many other central centralized exchanges where you could, for example, stake your ETH as we kind of talked about, like liquid staking, and they would pay you a a yield um, in exchange for that. Now, <clears throat> what I what I think is important to kind of call out here is is first of all. This is a crackdown by the SEC. That is the US only. This is where the SEC has jurisdiction, doesn't apply globally. This is specifically for the US. And when we think about uh, the why and the what behind this, so the what, importantly, is not that the SEC is saying that staking is, is is the problem. It's the staking as a service program. So what does that mean? Well, from what is being deduced so far and with an element here of like my take on this. Um, so take, take with that what you will. The, the way that a lot of the centralized exchange staking programs work, not the decentralized exchange ones is that they will take customer funds or assets, right? In the form of let's just use ETH, for example, I will stake my ETH on Coinbase or Kraken and Kraken will determine the 
percentage returns that they get. Now, what Kraken are doing is they are actually running validators uh, on ETH and they are earning rewards on the blockchain and then they share some of that with their users that are staking. Now, I think like the nuance in all of this is because Kraken are predetermining the, the percentage payouts, that is where the SEC is taking kind of uh, issue here and are saying that actually, you know, that needs to be registered as a security. On, on the other side, you know, Kraken are in a really tough situation because, and they've rightly come out and said, well, you know, there's, the SEC have given no guidance here. There hasn't actually been a way to register the kind of uh, the offer and sale of this crypto asset staking as a status program. This has kind of been a lot of criticism aimed at the SEC because of the fact that, you know, this is, as we, me and you have talked about Austin quite a bit, it's regulation through enforcement. And that, yeah, it, that isn't good, right? And, and I think what's be, become interesting is, okay, um, and I think it's, it's it, there's definitely a lot of like issues around like what people deem as securities and et cetera, et cetera. And I don't want to dig into like whether it is or isn't. I think it's kind of irrelevant actually. But what is interesting is that in, like individuals within the SEC have been coming out against some of this ruling. So Hester Pierce, she's uh, one of the, uh, an SEC commissioner she publicly published um, a kind of open letter, if you like, to uh, Gary Gensler and the, the, the SEC say, uh, opposing this. So she said, an offering like the staking service at issue here raises a whole host of complicated questions, including whether the staking pro- pro- program as a whole would be registered or whether each token staking program would be separately registered and what the accounting implications would be for Kraken. I think that's a really important kind of piece. I would read into the the whole kind of uh, piece that she 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 wrote about out and, and published because she goes into great detail in all of this. But I think the real takeaway here is, I think this isn't going to be the end. You've got to think that Coinbase are going to be next. I know that Brian Armstrong's publicly come out and said they will be fighting it, if so. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a really big piece. But I think the, so there's, there's one piece of this where it's, you know, the company determined what the staking rewards would be. And that's one, one part of the, um, the, the piece around why this is being deemed as a security. Um, and then you've also got like the staking as a service component, which is basically just an agreement between Kraken and its users, as opposed to the notion of just staking overall. So decentralized staking, so staking directly on the ETH blockchain, and I guess it's difficult for the SEC to come after decentralized protocols that do liquid staking. They should be seen as okay here, but you know, who, who knows? Um, I think that... I'm personally kind of surprised that Coinbase wasn't actually hit first with this. This is mm-hmm. one thing that I don't know what your take is on this, Austin, but this is the thing that is confusing me a little bit with Coinbase being a public company and having what seems to be the same service. I'm unsure as why they would go after this private company first versus a company operating on the public markets, which would typically be under more scrutiny. So I'm a little bit confused about that. And it makes me wonder 
is Coinbase even going to be next? Um, yeah. What what is happening though is DeFi is benefiting here and liquid staking scooping up more and more. Um, but I will say investors have definitely been spooked by it at least. But it's a it's yeah. an interesting one. It is. It's wild. I I uh, there was this great tweet going around from Jesse Powell, the CEO of Kraken. I I guess that uh, Gary Gensler, the SEC chair, went on CNBC and kind of was trying to downplay this whole thing and say, oh, no, like, you know, it's easy to come into compliance. Like you fill out this form and all this stuff acting as if like they this wasn't regulation through enforcement, but really like it was actually always clear and and Kraken could have come into compliance and they chose not to. And Jesse Powell tweeted out the video and he said, oh man, all I had to do was fill out a form on a website and tell people that staking rewards come from staking. Wish I'd seen this video before paying a $30 million fine and agreeing to permanently shut down the service in the US. How dumb do I look? Gosh. And then I love it. He ends it with two emojis, a gas pump and a light bulb. So gas yeah. because that's effectively what's going on here it's 100 it is, it is wild i mean i think i also heard from kraken that um the staking revenue that they create from the u.s is something only accounted for something like three percent of uh, the revenue from staking something like that i know that the majority of their revenue comes from europe actually unlike a lot of exchanges uh but so that's kind of interesting going to be kind of following that it's just uh i think we're all just a bit on edge around you know what's what's next gensler and the sec i mean this isn't a surprise they said at the start of this year and post ftx last year they are coming after crypto and they're they're going to build more kind of regulation around this i think we're hoping for more clear guidance and regulation versus more just heavy-handed um, uh, enforcement. So we'll keep on top of that. I'm sure there's going to be more to come in the coming weeks. And uh, let's jump into our second story of the day. Norwegian authorities have recouped roughly $5.9 million from the Axie Infinity Ronin exploit. Now, you may remember back in our July 6th episode of Off Chain we did a pretty big deep dive on the Axie Infinity Ronin exploit. It's a super interesting situation, um, but a lot of money was stolen as part of that, something like $662 million worth of crypto at the time. But now Norwegian authorities have seized 60 million krona, which is roughly 5.9 million US dollars in stolen crypto as part of their investigation into the attack on Sky Mavis and its game Axie Infinity, which was this Ronin exploit that we were talking about. This is actually the largest crypto seizure ever made by Norwegian police. And in fact, it's among the largest ever cash seizures made in Norway. Uh, mm. So this is a big deal. Yeah. And, and one, one thing that I thought was interesting here, I mean, you know, we, we've been hearing about these sort of seizures and, and recouping of stolen funds. Uh, you know, uh, Mango Marcus was one that, that we talked about uh, recently as well. Um, <clears throat> so it's nice to see that, albeit, you know, they're small amounts compared to the total amount that was stolen. Um, but what's interesting here is that the first state attorney, Marianne Bender, 
went on to say, quote, we are working with FBI specialists on cryptocurrency tracking. This kind of cooperation between countries makes us stronger as a society in the fight against digital profit motivated crime. So obviously the U.S. and its uh, invest investigatory bodies are involved here as well and cooperating with Norwegian authorities to recoup funds that are you know, located within Norwegian jurisdiction. Um, but yeah, large amount of money that has been pulled back here. Uh, still, it's been nearly a year since the Ronin wow. exploit. Believe it or not, Matt. I mean, time flies, right? It really um, does. It was a lot. Was it like, uh, I mean, I don't know exactly, but I think they said at the time when we were chatting about it that largely the Lazarus group were probably behind a yeah. large part, part of it, right? From Yep, you're right. The the, mm. Lazar- the Lazarus group from North Korea um, that is basically, you know, uh, behind a, 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 a bunch of um, thefts of crypto and hacks that, that have happened where, you know, the belief is that the money is being used to fund North Korean nuclear weapons programs and and things like that. But it's this hacking group out of North Korea that that uh, was behind the Ronin exploit and several other exploits. This one was really interesting because if you recall, Matt, uh, this was like a social engineering exploit that happened here. They do so brutal. Yeah, yeah, it- yeah. They. they- they basically uh, found a senior engineer at Axie Infinity uh, or Sky Mavis and duped them into applying for a fictitious job at a fictitious company. And then through that process, we're able to, you know, gain information from them that they used to run this exploit and take like $622 million worth of crypto, or at least that was its value at the time, from Axie Infinity's Ronin bridge. You um, think they still got their severance payout? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Too soon? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Not one for the CV. That one. Uh, yeah, uh, wouldn't yeah, want that. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, it, it looks like at least ten percent of this money has been recovered by investigators, though, with some assistance from Chainalysis, that blockchain analytics firm that we reference all the time. So. Some money is being recovered, but, you know, I think the assumption is that the overwhelming majority of it is gone at this point. Uh, Interesting to watch, nevertheless, and see how some authorities are recouping some of the stolen funds. For sure. All right, let's jump into the next one. Paxos, the company behind the BUSD stablecoin, you may recall, we were talking a little bit about this, they are the ones that issue Binance's branded uh, USD-pegged stablecoin. They have been asked, told, to stop issuing (laughs) any new BUSD stablecoins. US financial regulators have shut down any further issuance of BUSD, which is a, I would say this is even bigger in in, in all honesty of a story than the Kraken uh, staking one. And, you know, it it comes as a result of concerns that it can't safely issue the token. Safely, quote unquote, I will say. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. So, you know, there's there's a lot of opaqueness around this. And um, just as a reminder, you know, Paxos, the company that issues this token on behalf of Binance, and I will say, 
CZ and Binance have been doing everything to make that very clear that there is a very clear difference between Binance and Paxos and it's their token. And, you know, even though Binance actually um, mints a version of BUSD on their own native Binance, uh, what's it called, BNB chain. Um, So I think this is where stuff start getting... Uh, things start getting a little bit kind of uh, strange when when you start getting into that piece. But what is very concerning for Binance is, and while they are downplaying this, it accounted for 40% of all trading volume on Binance. It was the primary stablecoin trading pair. So any market that you would trade on in Binance, like Bitcoin, uh, buying Ether, buying anything, right? Dogecoin, the lot. It's all primarily paired with BUSD. And you may recall that I think last year Binance did this. We talked about this on the podcast where whenever you um, deposited any other stable coin on Binance, whether that be USDT, USDC, Binance would automatically convert that into BUSD. So they were, they were making a huge push. And I mean, this was a seriously large... Um, kind of stable coin, I think the third largest it was after USDT and USDC, maybe even slightly larger than USDC, I'm not sure. Big competitor to it, um, somewhere in the region of like 16, $17 billion market cap, something like that. And um, <clears throat> now that is gone. It briefly lost its peg, um, but... Uh, re- regained that. I think that was largely just more of a scare from from people. The Paxos also faces a potential lawsuit from the SEC, um, shock horror, over the BUSD token. And um, you know, the Wall Street Journal was told that they are they're planning to sue the company for quote violating investor protection laws. Now, what I will say with this, just to avoid the spreading of any like fear, misinformation, etc. Paxos are still issuing redemptions one for one right now. They are just simply not issuing any new BUSD. So the plan is to slowly unwind BUSD. And I think there was somewhere in the region of a billion dollars of net outflows um, in the 24 hours following the announcement. That is huge. Um, And BUSD is no longer going to be used on Binance. So uh, you guessed it. Tether's market cap just got dramatically increased because Binance will be going back to using what they used to do, which was have their main stablecoin pair in all of their markets as USDT. So Tether's market cap has been increasing pretty rapidly. Um, Surprisingly, I thought that this would really send a lot of volume into the more like decentralized stablecoins, the Fraxes, Mm -hmm. the DAI, et cetera, of the world. But we haven't really seen that. And my my take on this is that I think those that were largely using BUSD outside of like retail, right, is, is more the institutional kind of investors that were using and holding and having custody of their assets through Binance. And I think ultimately they're still looking for something that isn't decentralized and can have like custody managed by another third party, hence why they're using something like Tether. The last part of this, and the the plot thickens, it's never simple. It's never simple with anything Binance related, right? So what is going around and doing the waves in the media right now, and 
you'll have to forgive me. I think it's Wall Street Journal that have reported this. It's a major news outlet. Um, that the ones that actually tipped off US regulators were Circle, uh, the mm. issuer of USDC. And it seems like this is true, um, that they were the ones that alerted US financial regulators of um, issues with Paxos and the issue of BUSD. And look, if the claims are correct and there are issues, you know, that's fine. But it gets, it's it's probably going to get a little bit uh, dirty, I would say, in terms of uh, mudslinging, things like that that's going to go around. And what everyone is thinking uh, here is, you know, is there going to be a Wells notice sent over to USDC as well? It doesn't seem like that's going to be the case, but expect Doubtful. a lot of crypto Twitter stuff professing yeah. that that's going to be the case. But, you know, who who knows? Yeah, I mean, you know, the cynical view here, I would say, uh, is that stable coins pose, a, they're, they're, you know, either a competitor or a threat or a risk to CBDCs and thus the government's controlled monopoly on <laughs> currency. Um, yep. But uh, Circle has shown time and time again that they're they're ready to play ball. I mean, they've got, you know, huge... Uh, legacy institutions involved like BlackRock. They're doing CBDC pilots and working with governments on that. So I think that they, you know, from the government's perspective are probably in a little bit of a different category than like a Binance. Um, And interestingly, I, I actually, this is just like purely gut feel, but I feel the same way about Coinbase versus Kraken. One one just feels mm. like easier to control and uh, regulate, and the other is you know a little bit more insulated and and distant. And that might be why we're seeing some of this behavior that like purely from a technical standpoint doesn't make sense. But maybe if you you know put yourself into the shoes of a regulator in the U.S. government that's also thinking about sort of the long term play for CBDCs and government's role in crypto and currency in general and everything like that, you could see why you might feel a little bit more comfortable with a circle and a Coinbase than you would with a Kraken or a Binance. Not to say that they won't view Circle and Coinbase as, you know, existential threats as well. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I I, I kind of hadn't really thought about it necessarily from that view. But yeah, I guess you, you have so many more tools at your disposal to mm-hmm. regulate a company like Coinbase or a, a, a Circle, etc. Whereas, yeah, it's a little bit more of a wild west, especially with even more so with a company like Paxos, Binance, things like that, where and and even Kraken, where their main the the, the majority of their revenue. Let, let's not forget Binance and Kraken. The U.S. market is a minority of their yeah. revenue creation. So, and you know that even from the U.S. perspective definitely poses a level of threat. And that's the case for a lot of like centralized exchanges. Outside of Coinbase, I can't think of any other exchange where I'd imagine that the the US accounts for even a large chunk of their uh, of their activity. So I think that's an interesting point. I think it's uh, something that's clearly all kind of coming back towards our favorite topic, which is CBDCs. And you know, the FTX situation has really been an accelerant in tightening up, yeah. making some examples for the SEC so that 
yeah, they can probably get confidence or at least perceived confidence from the general public institutions that when they issue something uh, on the CBDC level, that it's well thought out and um, can also build its own monopoly around it, I think more importantly for them. Yep. So on the note of FTX, let's let's jump into our final story of the day. I have a question for you, Matt. (laughs) Who guaranteed SBF's $250 million bond? It's a big question that's been floating around. You got me. (laughs) Uh, I scooped up that super yacht and uh, put it down as collateral. (laughs) And, you know, uh, didn't want to get outed on this podcast, but you got me. Hands in the air. All right. (laughs) I knew it. (laughs) All right. Um, well, actually, we, we do have the real answer now. So SBF's mm. legal team wanted to keep these folks anonymous, but the judge ended up overruling that. And it turns out that two individuals were involved, both of whom are from Stanford, uh, interestingly. So mm. uh, you may remember, hmm, that, that rings a bell, right? SBF's parents have pretty strong ties to Stanford. We'll get into that later. Um, one individual is called Larry Kramer. He's actually a former dean of the Stanford Law School. He was the dean there from 2004 to 2012. Uh, he said that he signed on as a guarantor to SBF's uh, bail because of his close friendship with uh, the Bankman Fried family. Um, he also worked with SBF's parents, who, yes, both used to teach at Stanford Law School. Um, so he signed on for a $500,000 bond. And then the other individual is Andreas Patke. I'm probably, uh, I'm reading this on a, yeah. yeah, And I'm like, I have no idea how to to pronounce this name as well. (laughs) Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, but he is a senior research scientist at Stanford who signed on for a $200,000 bond. Um, I, I, I want to, you know, be clear here that I, I don't think that there's, uh, anything you know sketchy going on with these people i i don't think that they deserve to be harassed or have their privacy violated or or anything like that um this was just you know public information that was shared uh as part of the ongoing litigation and the criminal case that's being brought against sbf the you know the individuals to me i think uh should be left alone to be clear but i, I do think that it's not a good thing for stanford see- though Exactly. Uh, That's the interesting part. Yes. Um, And, you know, I I think that uh, another piece of this, Matt, that like I was just trying to kind of reason about here is I was like, okay, $500,000 bond, $200,000 bond. I'm pretty sure that like the total amount required was $250 million. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And I remember uh, SPF's family, they put up their house which I think was given roughly a $4 million valuation. So let's just round that up to needed, like $5 yeah. million. Dollars. Yeah, I think they needed about a, I think it was about $20 million, $25 million, something like that, uh, as collateral yes. down on on that $250 million bond that they needed to put up. But yeah, it yeah, still falls short, for sure. I think there was it some does, additional yeah. real estate uh, that, that the family may have put up as well. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I seem to remember there was okay. some... I seem to remember there was a ten million plus property that was involved. Oh, in interesting. Somewhere. Uh, I just can't remember the exact details. I'll, I'll have a little look into it. But yeah, was this, it in the Bahamas? 
<laughs> uh, I think that uh, that plus the super yacht and uh, you know everything else. Yeah, I, yeah there's going to be. I know that we're kind of almost sick of talking about the FTX stuff, but you know, as more and more information comes to light, stuff with like SBF uh, allegedly using customer funds to just like make a load of his own like personal purchases and fund his lifestyle, all of this stuff. I think as we get closer towards when there's like the actual trial and case and things like that, we'll obviously dig more into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot more coming out pretty soon about all of this. And to be honest, I can't wait to not be talking about Sam Bankman Freed, uh, to yeah. be honest. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, interesting one nonetheless. I, I, I think, you know, uh, it seems like the, the to me, the, the math isn't totally adding up on the bond. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you know, I'm pretty sure that like typically you would need, to your point, Matt, like at least 10% of the bond, uh, which would be $25 million in this case. But $5 million would only be 2% of $250 million. Even if you add, you know, a $10 million property, uh, you're still $10 million short. So I think the mm. judge probably pulled the number down uh, a bit from what is typical, maybe because the, the you know, the total amount was so high. Yeah. Um, but yeah, nevertheless, interesting to see two people from Stanford, you know, putting their necks on the line for SBF here. Oh, yeah. I'm sure Stanford absolutely loved that news story coming out as well. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'm sure there's going to be plenty more happening, especially on the U.S. regulation front. And I know this was a bit of a uh, legal and regulation episode, but, you know, that's what's happening right now. The crazy thing in all of this is markets very temporarily wobbled. And then all of a sudden, they've been completely pumping again. And it's it's been interesting. It's, I still maintain that I don't think that this is going to last for more than, say, a couple of months at most. Yeah. But, and you know, I'm not a, I can't see into the future. I've been wrong more than I have right, to be fair, in predicting markets. But it's interesting that in spite of all of this, the the market remains bullish and i think as we've just had this week the latest cpi numbers come in from the us and inflation has slowed down month over month but it's definitely not been slowing as much as people have expected but i think with the fact there was such a giant jobs number that came through in january which uh is is expected to cut down by at least half in february um People were fearing much worse numbers. So we'll see how things play out uh, next month as we get kind of more of those numbers in. Yeah. Interesting and, yeah. sort of component to that with the the CPI. Um, the, the most recent used car market index mm. numbers have come in. And believe it or not, after the, the you know, used car prices and like the, at the Mannheim uh, index and everything like that falling almost for the entirety of last year, they, they actually bounced and, and, and went that. through an uptick. Yeah. In uh, January, um, which, you know, that's a significant component of CPI. Um, and uh, there will be a lag of a, of a few months before those numbers start to show up in CPI. That really started to concern me. Like, are people buying Lambos again or, uh, <laughs> we're back, baby. We're back. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh yeah <laughs> well 
I'm sure we'll be finding out. Uh, next week, we'll give you a pulse check on whether we're back to down lonely mode uh, or not. <laughs> but <laughs> until then, I'm sure we'll be uh, relentlessly refreshing our corn gecko portfolios. All right, it's been a pleasure, Austin, and I'll see you next week. See you then, Matt. Contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.